If you follow the news lately, particularly regarding the country called Sri Lanka, now, people in Sri Lanka recently took their anger and their frustration eventually to the presidential palace. Based on the general description and the media reports, not only the citizens today in this country are expressing their dissatisfaction towards the government and also towards the current leader. Now that really led to the devastating results. Not only the Prime Minister resigned recently, but also the President finally decided to step down as well. Now, keep in mind, we're only in the year of 2022, and this is not the first international crisis that we're facing. So that's why today it's crucial on our show that we really need to talk about the topic regarding peace and conflict within the international community. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to introduce Professor Ashok Swan. Now, Professor Swan is a professor and the head of the Department of Peace and Conflict Research. He's also the UNESCO Chair on International Water Cooperation and the Director of Research School of International Water Cooperation and of Yusapala University. Now, Professor Swan, and welcome to The Missing Peace. It's my pleasure speaking to you. Professor Swan, I want to get started. Again, let's talk about something more urgent these days, which regarding what's happening in Sri Lanka these days. Again, as I mentioned in the intro, based on the report, the citizens in Sri Lanka that stormed into the presidential palace, not only that they took their frustration and anger towards the current political system, but also the government. Can you help us to understand the background of the information? And also, you are the expert of conflict and peace research. Can you help us? Do you think, is it just because the anger that motivated the people to took such action, or there's something much deeper? You know, the Sri Lanka is, uh, what is happening in Sri Lanka is uh, quite uh, um, very uh, disturbing. But it's not very surprising, to be honest, uh, because if anyone looks at the Sri Lankan politics uh, for some time, you know that Sri Lanka has a, a number of issues which were uh, somehow covered under various uh, ways, particularly in the last two decades. Uh, there have been a massive, you know, massive ethnic conflict, which we know that in 2009, and there was a war uh, between the northern part, which was an ethnic minority. The Tamils were fighting against the Sinhali majority, which the regime won the war. And that time, the uh, person who really led the war was the present prime minister who resigned. He's the family which ruled the country for a long period of time. Uh, and since then, economically, or the, you can say that uh, overall economic growth of the country has been quite good. Mm. Uh, in 2019, even the country became part of what you call it, the World Bank's uh, um, uh, list of the uh, middle-income country for a few months only, but uh, because the economic growth or per capita income really went off quite high, but most of these things took place. Of course, Sri Lanka has a, in comparison to the South Asian countries, it, it's a uh, human development index is very good. 
uh, has, uh, and uh, and with that they also brought in a lot of money from outside. Uh, of course, we do hear that uh, no money came from China, but there have been other countries. China's uh, size is quite. China's con, um, loan is not that big, but still that gets the attention. Uh, but there is a huge amount of money they brought in. But that was economy was doing well. Uh, at the same time, the government was following a policy, majoritarian policy, means the uh, the singly majority government, which was uh, following uh, even after the fight, uh, winning the war in two thousand nine. There was no reconciliation. There was no such way of inclusive uh, nature of the government. Uh, there was no way also. Quite a huge number of ways the Islamophobic acts were also committed mm. by the state. Uh, rules were changed to um, to help or to support or to garner the support among the right-wing Buddhist organizations. So those are the things which were done. But uh, economically, what happened? Few things. Uh, uh, I think the real problem comes from the kind of decision making was taking place in that country. Means uh, is the president. One brother is president. Another brother is a prime minister. One brother is finance minister. Another brother is the uh, uh, irrigation and other ministers. A nephew is the uh, sports minister. He, all kinds of positions, government positions, are run by the family or extended family. Mm. Uh, so there are no there are no check and balances. It was like run uh, very. Much so, I mean, though it was electorally getting the support with majoritarian politics, but there was no democracy as such in the country. Mm. Yeah, there is no such way you can see there was no accountability. So, what are the decisions they took? They took a number of decisions in 2019. They cut down the taxes so after the election of the prime minister. He cut down the taxes. So, tax cut, huge tax cut took place which took away quite a large amount of uh, cash from the government. Then, uh, and of course, there has been a number of measures which are, which have been uh, pushed, which is the way, you know, um, to satisfy the people. So they, they have been giving, uh, doling out resources without having the resources. Uh, and also borrowing a lot of money. So there was no fiscal responsibility. And how you will take the keep the fiscal responsibility, there has to be check and balances. Mm. If there is no check and balances, if so one family is taking the decisions, of course, then you want to keep the family happy or the family equation happy rather than to keep the country's economy doing well. Then there have been few other things which happened. Uh, of course, uh, you might have heard there are many people are talking about this uh, um, organic farming, the blame in the organic farming, which That's was right. a, a deci decision which has been taken in 2021. But that was, a, uh, and uh, many people try to blame the organic farming, uh, the, you know, it is such a, you, uh, and uh, support the farm, large farm culture. I mean, that is, that, that is being, uh, the twist is being given. But the real reason is the way decision was taken. If you want to do organic farming in a country, small island country, uh, and which is possible, which could have been, which would have been much better. But the thing is the way it was implemented. You cannot overnight uh, stop um, uh, getting, 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 uh, um, or the banning. Uh, you, overnight you ban the 
40 chemical fertilizers. Mm. That you can do that. I mean, you know, you need to a gradual way you sort of move to the organic farming if you want to do it. But who will tell these political leaders if there is no checks and balances, say hey, you don't do that. You you decide this, but of course it was and people try to blame organic farming, but the decision was not taken for organic farming. The decision was actually taken because the when you uh, import chemical fertilizers, you 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 put a, you also you know you give a foreign currency, so they they were running out of foreign currency. Mm. So organic farming was just a name through which they just banned this overnight. Otherwise, you don't do that. Mm. So then I think those are the internal issues: tax cuts, no checks and balances, uh, uh, borrowing heavily and doing this organic, so-called organic farming in a wrong way. But there are external issues also which came in. Um, external issues means, you know, there is a 2019, there was an Easter bombing. You might have heard that uh, mm. 250 people were killed. Uh, so there was been um, some Islamist group were uh, um, doing this bombing in the Easter time. Uh, and that really took away because of the tourism industry in a big way uh, in 2019 itself. Because tourism is almost $5 billion brings to that country mm. uh, annually. And so tourism industry was affected. And of course, after the Easter bombing, there is a number of anti-Muslim policies were taken. Uh, those, those are the things. But then the COVID came in. Mm. Uh, the COVID uh, two year two more than two years. It's uh, the what started with the declining of tourism with the Easter bombing. The COVID um, did it took it away. I mean, the major countries were affected, and it's a it's a country which is mostly dependent on the tourism, which extremely affected. And the third thing, finally, is the uh, Ukraine war. Mm. Uh, the war in Ukraine uh, raised the prices of oil and food products, particularly, you know, grains and others, which is uh, uh, Sri, Sri Lanka usually import also from Russia and Ukraine. And so all these things, when they came together, uh, that created this, uh, people really realized, hey, this kind of uh, bashing minority will not work. Uh, forever because your food is not on the table. You know your car is not running. You don't get the salary. So that's why there is a large when large number of majority community, you mean so singularly Buddhist, came to the street. Uh, that really made the brought the change. So mm. so it's, a, it's a, and then of course it was supported by the minority, those who have been already always opposing the regime or its its politics. So this is this is where the combination of the situation is in that sense. Sorry for this long explanation, but this is not an easy way to put it in this, you know, in this kind of business. Well, Professor Swan, there's no need to apologize again. I 100% agree with you. What's happening or what happened in Sri Lanka cannot be simply summarized by one sentence. Now, during the answer that you just shared with us, one word or one phrase that you've been repeating back and forth is the check and balance. And we know that today, when we talk about either from this political spectrum or this economic perspective, checks and balance play a significant role. But again, I want to move on to our next question. Again, Professor Swan, since you are the expert on peace and conflict, let's talk about this. 
back in the days, you know, let's say if we push back to 30 or 40 years ago, when we talk about peace and conflict, normally I think back in the days people believe the concept was very simple. No war, no conflict. Everyone was trying to get along with each other. So in other words, it's okay that we did not like each other. We did not have to be friends. But also, it was not necessary for us to war or to get into war with each other. But today, this is not the case. Professor Swan, as you mentioned just now, what's happening in Sri Lanka, what's happening in Ukraine, it's not simply that we cannot get along with each other, or it's not simply that we, we were willing to distance away from each other. But the truth is, or the matter is, we have to take over the power. We have to show that the vulnerabilities of the government. So my next question to you is, again, can you help us to understand what happened today within our international community or under globalization so that people have different understanding towards conflict and peace today? Uh, it's again a question, long uh, uh, and a complex question. But I, uh, let me try to uh, explain as uh, simply as possible. Sure. Um, I think if you if you look at it, though, though it's a conflicts or wars are not new to this world. We have fought the wars, we have fought the conflicts, violent conflicts. But I think the, what is happening now probably that we thought that we have gone out of that, that the world has become more peaceful, more organized, more disciplined, or there is an international community is there, mm. which is trying to uh, govern it in a way so there is an international regime which is existing. After the Cold War uh, was ended, we, in the, we, at the time of the Cold War, there have been a number of proxy wars taking place. Uh, we saw violent proxy war in the different parts of the world. Uh, lots of people losing lives, lots of people being displaced. Mm. Uh, but then uh, in the 1990s, when the, after the end of the Cold War, at least you can say in Europe or in larger part, there was a, 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 at least a certain kind of global power structure was built. Of course, it was much more dominated by the U.S. Mm. and the Western allies. Uh, whereas the Russia or the Soviet after the collapse of Soviet Union, Russia was not exactly in in in, in its way to challenge it. Uh, the China was uh, trying to recover, making the economic recovery, putting the emphasis on economic recovery. So it was, but it was much more a Western liberal structure which was trying to put that in place. It went on for some time, um, but of course, then we saw in the since uh, the beginning of this century, at least there have been the past decade was much more fighting the war mm. against terror, and that was much more um, in a limited way that the, not the countries were fighting the war, but at least there is an international regime or in the name of the international regime to keep the law and order and to maintain mm. the peace. What has happened now? Why we see the kind of uh, violence or protests or fightings taking place without any control is that, that we are back to now uh, a, almost a uh, pre-Cold War situation or almost a Cold War, it's beginning of the Cold War situation. Uh, 
uh, or in the 1950s of time. Uh, it's not a World War Three, or it was not going to be World War Three, most hopefully. But it is a very un- organized uh, two powers are trying to compete with each other, or mm. two power blocks which are com- trying to power compete with each other. Uh, and what the, the problem is here that there is a lot of gray areas which we don't know about, or the, the powers that themselves don't know how powerful they are or mm. how powerful they are not. Uh, so that that is also a very dangerous situation when everyone is testing others. Uh, so that is what is happening. And we just see that in mm. the UK. Or the kind of, I mean, if you look at it, uh, what, it what has happened since uh, Syria, Libya, I mean, we just name it uh, the case, particularly Ukraine, because it's in Europe, but you know, you know, they started from Syria. It has started also, we saw it in Libya, because that is the time you see uh, Russia and China didn't go well, go together mm. with uh, the Western alliances. of. Uh, so that has, then since then, in the Ukraine, it has become a very uh, confrontational politics or confrontational uh, positioning between the two uh, groups in that sense. Uh, while this is happening, the countries, those who are not, I mean, trying to, some countries have been asked, now you don't have any gray areas, okay? You mm. need to either or, you need to come to our group or you need to come to other group. That's right. And then it's all, then this also creates a number of uh, uncertainties because they have not yet decided which groups to join or they keep changing their minds depending on the, like, you know, we are talking about Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka uh, was, uh, of course, uh, the president which was deposed or which was destroyed, he had an American passport, but he was working with uh, China very closely mm-hmm. and he wanted to even go to Russia to get the money because to get out of the so, so, so I think it's, it's, not, it's a very uh, unclear positioning of these leaders, which also makes it much mm-hmm. more complicated. So I think we, we have come into a situation where uh, a power, Western liberal powers, those who are uh, so-called idea of liberalism and mm-hmm. democracy, they are also declining, not only economically, but also politically. Means uh, the populist right-wing populism has also taken away many of their own um, strength, which on ideological strength, where economically they are making weaker, ideological weakness also coming, because what we saw in the US in the December 6 in 2021, what we saw now in the UK, those are the ideas, those, I mean, those, those are the countries which the rest of the world were looking up to for the democracy or liberal values. And when they are under threat, then it becomes a problem. So that side is declining in that sense, ideologically and mil- militarily, as well as economically. And the other side mm. is, is, is uh, the China, Russia coming together closely. China is economically doing better than others. Russia has gained it somehow some strength of its own. Um, of course, it, 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 it is, is, is a facing. It didn't expect that it will be difficult in Ukraine as much as it's facing the problems and challenges. But, you know, it's still continuing the fight. It keeps the continuing the economy mm. in, uh, 
it is economy hasn't collapsed which you people had expected but it has also affected badly the its adversary the economy Mm. So, so it's it 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 it's a it's a very difficult situation at present, uh, which is very very uh, fluid. Uh, the international regime has not been really uh, in 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 its in in its shape to really address this issue. So I think we we see this time of uncertainty. So I, as I say, we are going into we are gone back to the period nineteen forty. Eight or forty-nine, forty-eight, forty-nine to period of nineteen sixty-two. So mm. that's the time which we are passing through. Professor Swing, as much as I agree with you, and I think before we get into our major international crisis, again, I want to dive into the, the the phrase called war or civil war. You know, a little bit more. Again, for example, when we look at the countries of United States of America. Or when we look at what's happening in the United Kingdom today, citizens across the continent they tend to use social dissatisfactions, or they tend to describe social disorganization as a war. So, in other words, when we talk about the violation of individual democracy, when we talk about the violation of the democratic system, people tend to say. There's a war within this country. You know, for example, in America, the abortion rights was a war for a lot of people. Now, the、uh, the legalization of same-sex marriage that was a war. Now, move on to UK. You know, Boris Johnson was forced to resign because his domestic policies. Well, so Professor Swain, my next question to you is: Before we can bring the topics onto international stage. How do people come to the conclusion, or how do people d- set up the definition that domestic unrest or domestic a、uh, a、uh, uh, disorganization can also be described as war? So, in other words, why bother to use the war for domestic issues? Why not call call it as a conflict? Why not call it as a social a、uh, uh, division? But why do we elevate the whole a、uh, a、uh, uh, I guess the battle or whole dissatisfaction by using the word war today? Can you help us to understand? That's because catches the attention in the media, and the people do tend to use the war security. Um, those kind of wars very liberally, and even peace also liberally.、Mm. And I think that's a problem unless you do have、uh, you are a researcher of peace and conflict or security researchers. We don't do that. We cannot do that kind of things. I mean, people do have a tendency because it, it helps to some extent to bring this discussion to get the eyeballs. To bring this discussion to the high table, but it has a huge problems.、Mm. Huge problems means you 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 securitize everything. You bring it to because if necessary, look a, a, a protest or opposition to a certain rules or certain policy or certain election or what is going on in Sri Lanka. We discussed in a way、mm. is not bad. It's it's a country.、Uh, then what happens? A protest. Or in a demo in a, in a democracy, protest is the very key factor of a democracy. Without protest, there is no democracy. 
then it's an electoral autocracy. Mm. You win, somebody wins the election that has all the power to take unpolitical policy decisions. There will be no checks and balances. Again, coming back to this word, check and balances. You protest has the I mean, whether we like the protest or not, mm. whether protest is liberal or illiberal values, protest is moral or immoral values, those are the secondary matters. But the people must have the possibility to raise their voices and to be heard to some extent. So I think this is this is where uh, we need to differentiate that when the protest takes place, uh, protest we always tend we have a tendency to. Uh, what is happening in Sri Lanka? I keep on telling to my friends, journalists, those who are asking me, I think this is what really brings out the good part of uh, uh, a, a democratic structure in a sense mm. that we don't see thousands of people being killed. We In this kind of situation, you would see massive uh, state repression against the people uh, or your army using violence indiscriminately that is not happening mm. of course there is a you know some vandalism here and there some people going but this is somehow a a, a, a process correcting itself mm. process correcting itself of bringing the democracy to its the proper uh, path um, so and i think this is this is where we do have a we are trying to hype up things which are not exactly needs to be looked at that the way of course because of the uh, the media has uh, got into the and uh, now the kind of footage coming in from the different places social media has expanded this everybody has a voice uh, people have the influence of the social media influencer are mm. much more influential than the regulated or what you that you know the prescribed media or prescribed mm. policies which were coming before so i think it's it's, it's again a, 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 a situation which we have come we don't we don't know exactly where it will be because it's a bit disturbing a bit more what uh, confusing but at the same time i don't think these are supposed to be called war or these are supposed to be hyped up or these are supposed to be necessarily bad these are the societies which needs to go through mm. Now, Professor Swing, let's go back to the country of Sri Lanka. Now, again, based on the media reports and also the footages that we receive, what happened in that country? Again, based on what you said, and of course, I agree with you, should not be a surprise for a lot of people. Because again, that based on this economic uh, 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 turnaround or based on this economic shift, that more and more people begin to see that when we have domestic conflict or when we have domestic satisfaction, economy plays such a significant role. Now, based on the report, July the 20th, this country is going to elect another leader. And hopefully this new person is able to, we can't say it's going to calm the storm at this moment, but at least the new elected person will give a better explanation or a better hope to the country. Now, from your perspective, how much uh, a hope do you think that people can place into this new person? So, in other words, when we look at Sri Lanka today, would you say that this is a wake-up call, not only for the country of Sri Lanka, but also for the rest of the world to understand that one day people will get fed up of the situation 
people will storm into the presidential palace. People void. Uh, people will voice their opposition towards the government or towards the leader. Do you think does that work today? I think what we again. This is the same uh, kind of uh, discussions we are getting into. What exactly we are? Uh, though there have been a bit of a puzzle here because the. President has just uh, fled, uh, hasn't resigned yet. Uh, the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka has been appointed as an acting president, and he is not exactly liked by the uh, group or the protesters. The opposition leader is a bit um, um, so the Premadasa, who the also the son of a former president, uh, hasn't really. So, who will become the? Uh, Okay, all party government's leader is, is time will tell. But I think what will happen is that, or what is expected to happen mm. is that there will be we, we a, a all party government will come in, uh, which will not have any kind of hope of the people or anyone mm. is hoping for any leader riding a white horse and uh, solving the problem overnight. No one has a magic wand there to solve the problem. That's it's right. a long. It will be a very difficult problem to solve. So, where all party government will be coming in, that people need to realize that, uh, or people need to get this kind of comfort that everybody is represented in that kind of decision making, and that will give a certain kind of legitimacy. What I hope or what is hoped by people that those who are thinking in that sense because the process of recovery or recovery of Sri Lanka, economic recovery and political recovery will be the time when the uh, it will be a long-term process. Mm. It's a process will be much more bureaucratic, mm. much more professional. So it's not the politicians those who are going to lead the process of recovery. Is the professional bureaucratic recovery, which will be a long-term process. Mm. Well, politicians' role will be uh, coming together, providing a national government. They, they, they are very limited because of, uh, there will be they have to get the money from IMF, which mm. is coming most likely. There is also possibility of China and India providing some because they are competing among themselves, mm. China and India, for their, their own influence. So there will be some money, but the, once the IMF comes in, so there will be much more uh, planned, prescribed way of getting out of the trouble. So I think, but this will be a long-term process. Mm. So it's not going to overnight and neither anyone is expecting a leader, a charismatic leader emerging overnight and addressing this problem. I mm. hope not, mm. at least. Professor Swain, I know you're very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, we've been addressing the issue regarding the war, uh, regarding the word called war. But let's talk about the second part of your expertise, which is peace. Today, let's be realistic. It's rather difficult to maintain peaceful today, not only that politically, but also economically. Now, again, you're the expert. I want to ask you. Based on what happened in Ukraine today, the war between Russia and Ukraine, and also Sri Lanka, and also many other countries among Latin American regions as well, what are the strategies today for countries to maintain peaceful? Again, it, it doesn't matter however we define the word peaceful, but again, how can we avoid 
war with another country unless other country uh, decide to provoke first or other country decide to invade first. But again, we hope that won't happen again. But so the question again coming to you, Professor, is how should we maintain peaceful today as partners, as alliance, and may not always be best friends, but let us be, uh, how can I say, peaceful,ly harmonious coexistence with each other. What would you say to that? I think uh, if you look at it, of course, we are seeing a lot of conflicts, because most of these conflicts are mostly internal conflicts, uh, except some of the conflicts which were uh, the wars which were fought, particularly by the mm. uh, U.S. coming into the Middle East and fighting, or the U.S. Uh, with some of its allies fighting in a long-distance war in the Middle East, and now Russia fighting the war so the, with Ukraine. And I think this is the Russia's fighting the war in Ukraine has brought in this idea that the countries are fighting here at war at each other. Uh, this is not the kind of things which I envisage uh, at present because the reason is there is a number of ways you can fight the conflict uh, rather than uh, taking the army to the border. Mm. Uh, I mean, even the Russia and the Ukraine were fighting the uh, cyber war quite a lot. Uh, even the fighting the cyber war, countries are fighting the cyber war, mm. war but is fighting the trade war, fighting the economic war. But those are quite happening. But taking the army to the border and fighting war against each other are very limited sometimes and very limited purposes because most of the countries have realized that it's not really going to deal with the kind of uh, changing the whole country and the whole system. Even though Russia couldn't even take the Ukraine. Uh, so Russia is now trying to adjust to certain part of eastern part of the country uh, after you know four months of a conflict. Uh, so, so I think it's, it's a somehow uh, there is a realization that the wars by the countries, uh, though we see that there are, you know, the, uh, particularly Ukraine has brought in this kind of, but most of these conflicts are mostly internal, the civil wars. Uh, and that, though, I mean, no way I'm saying that they, they mm. can, we can ignore them. They are much more violent, they are much more problematic, much more difficult to uh, engage. Uh, even the UN peacekeeping of UN uh, peacekeeping, which has been which was quite successful in the 90s, is not getting successful in the new conflicts which are the, uh, engaged. So those are the why those are the serious issues. But I think we should be a bit careful of uh, jumping into saying that the countries will fight war against each other. Even if they fight, even I mean, which will not be new there because there are a number of. Uh, still the areas where uh, still very much can be leading to certain kind of military actions. But I don't think that those military actions will be uh, very extensive military actions. Mm. Those will be more uh, specific uh, ways like, you know, um, China-India fighting the mm. war in the Himalayas. Or they, I don't think they will fight a full-scale war. Mm. They will fight those kind of wars with the one or two check posts one will take or something like mm. that nature. So those kind of gradual, small-scale uh, conflicts between take place. So I think uh, we're saying that I'm not saying I'm not saying that we should. We, 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 it's totally ruled out. I mean, I, uh, the, nobody had thought that Russia will really invade Ukraine. That's Any right. sensible mind would do that. So the people go crazy, the leaders go crazy. It's all decision making takes place at that level. Uh, but overall, 
it, it doesn't make any sense mm. anymore to really fight war and occupying another country. Mm. It's, it's not possible in that sense. Professor Swan, I want to wrap up our conversation with, again, the current one of the current affairs today. Sitting U.S. President Joe Biden is actually visiting one of the crucial countries in the Middle East, which is Saudi Arabia. Again, with many intentions and with political desires, U.S. hopes that, under, again, under the current government, that peace in the Middle East supposed to be a promise, not only from the U.S. side, but also needs international effort. So my last question to you, Professor Swing, is how much does a U.S. Uh, have the credibility today in terms of uh, managing or handling or contributing to the peaceful uh, ex coexistence or peaceful, uh, uh, I guess, uh, political or economic agreement uh, uh, among the countries in the Middle East. So in other words, how much do you think for a country as Saudi Arabia, the country of Israel, the country of Iran, you know, again, we can name all the lists, but how much can those countries trust the U.S. today in terms of building or at least the maintaining the decent peaceful status what's your take on that unfortunately the u.s doesn't have that much of importance anymore in the middle east uh, the u.s the only trusted ally in the in the region even you can say israel is mm -hmm. not exactly anymore trusted uh, because israel has also uh, huge uh, internally but also externally much more dependent uh, in the um, Russia with Russia as well as with China economy Chinese Chinese investments is huge in mm. uh, Israel uh, saying that I think of course there has been issues uh, you, we must realize that uh, uh, Saudi Arabia as well as uh, UAE uh, they're not uh, Picking up the telephone call of the Biden when the, there was this war started in Ukraine, and that shows that you know how the, the because without the uh, permission from the U.S., nothing was uh, moving in the in some years back mm. in the Middle East, uh, but that has changed quite dramatically. Uh, I think again, though we, we, we then you say Iran, uh, it was a kind of uh, the Iran nuclear deal, which is the Trump had uh, sorry the um, Obama had signed, but the Trump really withdrew. But then you expect Biden to resign it, which when he was the vice president, but he didn't do that. And then so Iran has signed a 25 years of uh, uh, security and the economic deal with. Um, China. Mm. So Iran has also applied to be joining BRICS. So, so it's a, it's, a, it's a number of situation which is which are coming, which is uh, which are emerging, is a very difficult for the middle uh, the U.S. to maintain that power in mm. the Middle East or maintain that control in the Middle East. Uh, middle East is again another region which is very fluid. 
now uh, as i was saying this is also a, and there is an internal conflict the mm. war in yemen also saudi arabia is playing and so on the way they are directly involved so there are a number of factors internal factors the shia sunni factors which are involved i mean all these things which makes it much mm. more complicated but to, overall uh, the you know, to just to put it in this way that uh, the us influence in mid, in the middle east each each is declining uh, quite significantly how much they do trust on china and russia to maintain the power of course russia has played a significant role in syria uh, of keeping the Uh, regime in power mm. so i think that, that that's also another factor turkey is playing its own role there so it's it's a, it's a it's a very difficult to realize where it will lead to but one thing for sure that uh, america is losing its influence very big way in the middle east and i 100% agree with you professor that this year is going to be very crucial and important not only for the american voters but also for the us government to realize that domestic conflict or domestic war should always be the priority and of course that after taking care of the domestic agenda international relationship should never be underestimated regardless if the republican or democrats uh will won the 2024 presidential election well ladies and gentlemen it's my great honor and privilege to speak to professor ashok swan professor swan it's a professor and head of the department of peace and conflict research he's also the unesco chair on international water cooperation and the director of research school of international water cooperation again professor swan thank you so much for taking your time to join the show it's been a pleasure speaking to you we love to keep in touch with you and again have you back on the show for our future episodes regarding the war and peace and conflict within the international community thank you professor thank you so much for doing